Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Before we get into our lesson this morning, we're going to have a scripture reading from Matthew chapter 5. So Owen's going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. So if you open up your Bibles, uh, we'll read that, then we'll get into our lesson this morning. Owen? Matthew 5, 3 through 5 reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. As we get into our lesson this morning, I do want to remind everybody of one announcement, and I don't want to take away from our lesson time, but remember we do have our trunk or treat this afternoon um, from 6 to 8 p.m. in the parking lot. Um, I'll have some pizzas here beforehand for any of the staff on hand that want to eat some pizza before we give out candy. If you have any questions about it, see me afterwards, but we do have room for more cars. If you didn't sign up, that's okay. Just show up and we'll have a lot of fun out there and definitely invite your friends and neighbors to come be a part on, and then if you come across some of the sporting channels, maybe like if you're lucky enough to have cable on ESPN, they would have World's Strongest Man competitions. They're all they're all these big Viking dudes named like Magnus, right? Magnus Magnuson or Magnus Carlson. And, you know, I'm from Denmark. I thought maybe one day I'll be big and strong like these guys. So I watch them, right? So I remember watching these strongman competitions and these feats of strength that they would do and how awesome they were. And I thought, man, that was, you know, the crowning element of, of 90 sports right there. The strongest. Man. You're waving at me. What's not on? My microphone's not on. All right, cool. My microphone's not on. They told me today. That's awesome. So with these World's Strongest Man competitions, though, I remember watching these guys thinking, wow, look at how awesome that is. And they would have to carry, that's called the Atlas Stone, and you have to carry that and put it in this yoke. And then they do this thing where they're holding these giant tractor tires and so on with these big feats of strength. Well, I, I kind of started my going on kind of a little search about these strongman competitions, and I came across uh, a fellow who actually been kind of now the last 15 years or so the undisputed World's Strongest Man. Now, he didn't win it. The last few years, because he's kind of retired out of it, but all of his records kind of still stand. And he's not a Danish guy, actually. He's a Latvian by the name of Zydrunas Savikas. There he is next to Arnold, okay? Arnold's not a small man, okay? So this is a big dude right here. This guy can, like, bench 550 pounds. He can squat close to 1,000 pounds. I mean, pretty awesome guy, right? I mean, he can do a lot of stuff. Really, really strong man. Hence the name, World's Strongest Man. But he's not a, a monster. Here he is holding a puppy I found on his Facebook page. So, see? And he didn't crush the puppy. He liked it. But people like these feats of strength, right? These, these um, um, strong men, they're able to do these amazing things. Here's Zadrinus right there, like pulling like, I don't know, 15 Nissan Versas. One Nissan Versa, I wouldn't be that impressed. They're not that big. I think Heather has one, right? But 15 of them, that's a pretty awesome feat to be able to pull that many Nissan Versus. He also pulled a jet. I didn't use that picture just because it was pixelated. But he pulled like a Boeing 737 or something like that too. The guy is pretty strong. And we like things like that. We like watching things like that. These, these shows of power, these shows of might. In the ancient world, it was the same way. Now, maybe they didn't have them pulling a whole bunch of Nissan Versas, but they would have gladiators in the arena, 
And people would cheer for their favorite gladiator as, as he would fight different people, sometimes to the death, sometimes to not. And these gladiators back then, yes, some of them were slaves, but others became like national heroes. And they were looked at as these being these, these objects of affection. And they would be like, you know, if they had a magazine back then on the cover of people following their career. In fact, the people worshipped these people so much as heroes that back then what they would do is they would cover them with oil before they get out there and fight. And afterwards, they would scrape off the oil and the dead skin cells off of these gladiators and then sell it to their fans. Okay, and people like, all right, I got the sweat and dead skin cells of Maximus over here. They thought it was really cool. So, but I mean... It's not a new thing to watch these strong men do these amazing things and elevate positions of power as something to be admired. You think about in the ancient world during the time of Christ, whether it be the gladiators or even some of the emperors, they would erect statues of themselves in positions that showed authority, riding horseback, arm outstretched, you know, that kind of idea saying, look at how powerful and how mighty we are. That was the world of the first century. And it's not any different than our world. We, you know, big monuments and statues and things that show off power as well. And it was also in the Jewish culture too. Now it was religiously oriented when they did it, but you think about the temple. The temple even in the first century was a symbol of power, religiously you might say, but the fact that it was big, the fact that it was beautiful, the fact that it was ornate was a symbol of confidence, a symbol of pride, a symbol of might. So whether you have a medal that says world's strongest man, whether you have a statue in Rome or a temple in Jerusalem, all of these are symbols of might and power, you know, during that time of the first century. But with that as a backdrop, then let's go into our lesson this morning. We are in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, a sermon preached by Jesus himself. This is the longest recorded sermon we have of Jesus that's recorded for us here by Matthew, and it's intact here from beginning to end, shows different thematic elements and points that Matthew is trying to get across. But what we're trying to emphasize as we look at this sermon is that this is about what it means to live in Christ's kingdom, because Jesus is king we are his subjects. We are in his kingdom. What does it mean to live in that kingdom even today? Now, as Jesus got up to speak in this sermon on that mountain, as the people are gathered around him, he sits down, he speaks to them, he opens his mouth, and the first thing he tells them is, blessed are that, as we talked about last week, poor in spirit. We mentioned last week that oftentimes when we think of blessed, we don't think of poor people as blessed. We don't think of people that are lacking something as blessed. We think, wow, that Latvian strongman, that guy's pretty blessed. I mean, he could pick up a whole, you know, um, Nissan Versa or something like that. That guy's pretty strong. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the point that we keep emphasizing is Jesus turns our idea of blessedness upside down in this sermon. The things that we normally look at as maybe a sign of weakness, Jesus says is a sign of strength, even, spiritually. Because in Christ's kingdom, to be spiritually blessed, you must be spiritually humble. That's what we looked at last week with this idea, blessed are the poor in spirit. But let's continue. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, Jesus continues down this list of what we call the Beatitudes, or the blessed statements, right? 
He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then right after that, he gives the next one. Because you can imagine the people in the audience are probably thinking, okay, maybe we misheard the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Maybe we misunderstand what he's saying. But he's going to tell us, blessed are the powerful. Blessed are the rich. Blessed are the mighty here pretty soon, right? But he doesn't. Right after he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus repeats himself again. He says, blessed are the, well, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Holy cow, Jesus, you want to talk about like kind of throwing a curveball at us right here. You know, you've mentioned the poor in spirit are blessed. We're thinking you're going to say, blessed are the Pharisees, blessed are the priests, blessed are the Levites, blessed are the kings, blessed are the wealthy, blessed are the mighty, blessed are the gladiators, right? But no, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Why in the world would he say that? Now, if you're not familiar with the term mourning, that idea, it's the idea of that lament, that sadness, that grief, usually when someone dies, that feeling. Why in the world would Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn? I've done a lot of funerals. When I look at the audience there and the people are sad and people are crying, people are mourning, they normally don't view that opportunity as something to be celebrated. Now, in a, in a Christian funeral, of course, we'll talk about their life is to be celebrated. We were blessed to know the individual and that kind of idea, or we're blessed to remember. But the actual act of mourning, which in that culture was a big deal, they would have long periods of mourning where people would wail, people would cry, people would um, kneel down and all of that. And... Why in the world is that something to be considered as a blessing? I mean, I've been at funerals where I couldn't speak because I was crying. I didn't like it. It wasn't something I was like, oh, this is such a blessing. I remember at my grandmother's funeral, you know, I'm the preacher guy in the family. So as we're going around and people are saying stuff, I figured I'm supposed to say some stuff. I couldn't even get words out. My kids still talk about that. Remember when you cried at Grandma's funeral? Yes, I remember when I cried at Grandma's funeral. You know, that kind of thing, right? I don't like that idea. Normally, we don't think of that as a blessing. Why in the world would Jesus say that here? Jesus is turning our idea of blessing upside down. Now, here's why I think he says this. And I kind of came up with a quick little list, and we'll talk about it. But here's why I think Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. First off, when you are mourning, that means you're thinking about someone else. This whole Sermon on the Mount is there's a big emphasis on not looking at yourself all the time and only being selfish, but about thinking about other people, loving other people, not inflating your own ego, but thinking less of yourself and more of others. Mourning does that for you because now it's not about you. It's about the person you have lost. Mourning means you're also thinking about death. That's not a bad thing to think about. As you go on in this sermon, Jesus is going to give a scene of judgment in chapter 7 when there's people that are standing before his judgment seat and all that, and they say, Lord, Lord, do we not do all these things in your name and so on? If we're not prepared to die, we're not living the Christian life properly. Mourning means you are thinking about death. Mourning also means that you have to slow down, that you have to stop, that you have to contemplate what has occurred. See, we like to go, 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 and to stop and actually process something is difficult. We don't like having to do that. I, I've been around so many people that when hardship is in their life, 
Maybe they've lost a loved one. And you know what they do? They get busy. They try to find things to do because they don't want to have to think about the fact that they've lost somebody. So instead, they fill their time. If I could just be busy enough, I don't have to address the fact that I've lost my loved one. Have you ever met somebody that's done that? Maybe you've done that. I know I do that. But I want to distract myself from the problem. So mourning means you have to slow down. Mourning also means you have to express your feelings. Now, that's hard for us to do. Because a lot of times we think of, of expressing feelings as a sign of weakness. I mean, Magnus Magnuson, the world's strongest man, I bet you that guy doesn't express his feelings, right? Well, mourning means you have to express your feelings. See, they didn't normally think of a gladiator as someone who would, who would weep in that idea. But yet, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I've had people basically ask me before for permission to weep or they apologize. I've had people before who have lost loved ones um, talk to me and say, I just, I, I, I couldn't help it. I had to just break down and cry. And it's almost like they feel like they're sinning by doing so. And I have to say, that's okay. You're supposed to. It's good to mourn. It's good to cry. It's good to be upset when something upsetting has happened. If you bottle all that in, that's unhealthy. That's a problem. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Mourning means you have to express your feelings. Mourning means others will also see you as being vulnerable. See what Jesus is doing here? The religious leaders at that time didn't want to be seen as vulnerable. Do you picture the scribes and the Pharisees as being just these open books who are vulnerable to the people around them? No. They always wanted to look holy. They always wanted to look righteous. They didn't want to show weakness. You think about maybe the, the political leaders of that day, the kings and so on. They always wanted to be mighty in how they carried themselves. They didn't want to show vulnerability. But in Jesus' kingdom, even the king shows emotion. Think about it. In that famous verse in John chapter 11, verse 35, it says Jesus wept. Now, I know we're not in the book of John, but that's right after Lazarus dies, and he sees Mary and Martha and the others weeping and mourning, and he too weeps. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That is so upside down from the way we normally view things. But the kingdom that we're a part of is an upside down kingdom. Jesus says, you want to find comfort? Mourn. See, right before they said, you want to find wealth, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, why are they blessed? They get the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. We think we're going to comfort ourselves. If we can just disconnect from the mourning, avoid the problem, don't ever address it, don't ever cry, don't ever weep, don't ever show emotion, then we'll find comfort. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Paul would later say to the Thessalonians that we as Christians, we do mourn, we do grieve, but not as those who have no hope. See, in Jesus, when we mourn, it's different. In Jesus, when we look at life and everything, we have a different outlook, and we find comfort even in times of sadness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, in digging into this verse, too, that word mourn that he uses there, it's a word that's often translated lament. It's often translated grief. And I came across an idea of this verse that I hadn't thought of before. And I don't know if, if I completely agree with this idea, but I want to give it to you as another option here. 
Several people that I, I, I was reading some of their work, they thought that maybe Jesus is using a word that carries with it more of the idea of lamenting sin even here, which the word can go both ways, but maybe the idea of mourning and lamenting sin is similar to the idea of being poor in spirit and being humble. See, when you mourn your own sin, when you mourn your own problems and your own, you know, shortcomings, that is the idea of being poor in spirit, and then and only then will you find comfort. Now, however you look at this, whether you think he's talking about mourning someone who's died or mourning sin, the point is still the same. You're blessed if you mourn. But that's not normally the way we look at things, do we? We do not normally associate strength with sadness. We don't look at a person who is sad, who's maybe mourning the loss of someone. We don't go, wow, look at how strong they are. But yet in Christ's kingdom, to be spiritually strong, you must be willing to be sad. Think about that. To be strong, the way we're seeing it here, to be blessed, you have to be willing to mourn, to be vulnerable, to be sad, to maybe shed a tear. Well, Jesus, the strongest one to ever walk on this earth, God in the flesh, wept. Blessed are those who mourn. That's the first one I want to look at this morning. We're going to look at another verse this morning, too, the next one, verse 5. So he starts off, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And then in verse 5, depending on your translation, it either says, blessed are the gentle or blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I purposely used, you know, the Latvian strongman here's picture holding the puppy for a reason, okay? So it wasn't just clipped, just ran out of backgrounds. Here's my reason for this. This word, meek, or this word, gentle, and you've probably heard it talked about before, it's not a word that means weak. Just because meek rhymes with weak doesn't mean it's the same thing, okay? Meekness is not weakness. Meekness or gentleness is strength under control. Now, if the strong man wanted to go on a puppy-killing rampage, he probably could easily do that, right? This guy's pretty strong, but I'm glad he's gentle, and I'm glad he likes dogs because I like dogs too, right? That's meekness. It is strength under control. We don't normally look at that, though, as a, as a character trait to be valued. Why would Jesus throw that in here? Because you think about it, that time, some of the rulers, it was the idea of might makes right. It was the strongest nation prevails. The strongest person become, becomes king. The greatest warrior is elevated the most. The best gladiator is the most victorious, the most powerful. That's the one that we look up to. But yet Jesus here says, blessed are the gentle or are the meek. Totally goes against the way that we look at things, isn't it? But have you ever been around somebody like that? I mean, that terminology of, of meekness, and I started looking up, what, what are some pictures of it? And they had like pictures of maybe a lion next to, you know, a, a lamb. That, you know, the lion has great power. Can you just, boom. Well, you know, take a swipe at the lamb and the lamb would die, and that idea there. And then, the, you know, the strong man holding the puppy. And if you've ever been in any kind of a, a combat sport type environment and you've gone against somebody on a whole different skill level than you, you understand this. I remember one time at the gym we had this guy 
visiting us for a few months on job. He was a black belt from um, the Midwest. He was, um, skill level was better than mine already, but that didn't even make it worse. The guy's also like 6'5 and over 200 pounds, okay? So this guy, and he's got better skill level than me. He's also twice my size and weighs a whole lot more than me and did not like heavy set. We're talking like ripped, right? And I remember sparring with him, and I remember we're going and we're working, and I'm thinking as I'm fighting this guy that he's being nice to me. You ever done that? Maybe you wrestle with your dad as a kid, and dad lets you get just enough that you're like doing good, and then, then he catches you, right? That's how it was like rolling with Oscar, okay? I would be going with him, and I'd be wrestling. I got him now. I'm going to leg lock him, and now I'm upside down, right? I mean, that was meekness. It was power under control. At one moment, he could just take me and, like, Hulk smash me, grab my leg, and just start flinging me up and down, but he didn't. Meekness under control, right, or strength under control is meekness. That goes against this mindset of might makes right, or maybe the one we say today, only the strong shall survive. You ever said that or heard that thought? That's not biblical, okay? Jesus says, blessed are the meek or blessed are the gentle. He says, they will inherit the earth. But I thought the strong are going to get it. No, the meek, the gentle will inherit the earth. Our worldly standard is, well, if you're mighty, if you're powerful, the world is yours for the taking, right? No. Jesus says the gentle, the meek, the world will ultimately be theirs. See, that kingdom of heaven that he talks about in verse 3 provides that comfort in verse 4. It's seen in the inheritance of that new earth in verse 5. It's this idea here. It's not the strong that will inherit the earth. It is the meek. Because future blessings do not belong to the mighty. The people that are blessed are not the mighty people, but the meek people. People that maybe they do have power. There's a lot of things we can do. We could hurt people. We could abuse people. We could take advantage of people. We can manipulate people. We can push for our way. We could demand get what we want, but that's not what we do. We love other people. We put other people first. So even though it might not be what I want to do, I do it for the other person. Even though I can throw a big fit and complain because I'm not getting my way, I don't because I care about the other person. Even though I had other plans, I give in and do something for another person. Power under control is meekness. That's the type of people that will inherit the earth. And I thought it was kind of neat as I was thinking back to that idea of these strongman competitions. One of the events I already mentioned is called the Atlas Stone. And you think about the history of this. Because in Greek mythology, you had Atlas. Remember the, the scene of the guy with like the, the globe on his shoulders carrying the weight of the universe and he's mighty and holding it. I think it's like actually a curse for him in mythology. I'm not completely sure. But then you have these strong men. And symbolically, these world's strongest men are like Atlas carrying the atlas stone like they can possess the earth and i'm sure they don't think that but i'm just saying you know for illustration purposes here you have these men there it's like they're lifting up the earth no your muscles your might your power is not what causes you to inherit the earth according to this passage 
It's your heart. It's those that are meek. It's those that mourn. See, if you want to inherit the earth, mourn and be meek, and you can receive comfort in the earth itself, it says. But if you're only seeking fame, you're only seeking power, you're only seeking might, you're only seeking yourself, you're not going to find the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to find comfort. You're not going to inherit the earth. As we go on later on in the next few weeks, you're not going to be satisfied. You're not going to receive mercy. You're not going to see God. You will not be called a son of God. Jesus starts off his sermon just turning everybody's world upside down. You want to be blessed, be poor. You want to be blessed, mourn. You want to be blessed, be gentle. You want to talk about a world-changing sermon. Imagine us, though. What if we put into practice these character traits? What if this week, in every situation, we said, okay, I'm not going to get my way. I'm going to put somebody else first. Power under control. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be meek. What if in many situations this week, we stop and take a moment to come to grips with our own emotions even, be a little bit vulnerable and mourn. Take time to be sad even. That's hard to do. That's not usually a sign of strength. But from what I see here in the Sermon on the Mount, that's what makes us spiritually strong. The lesson is yours this morning. Keep digging into the Sermon on the Mount. Keep reading it through week after week, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, as we get into it. It's a powerful lesson given by Jesus himself that shows us what it truly means to live in the kingdom. Let's all stand and let's sing the song that was selected. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless.